Welcome to you today. I'm Paul Pepys, the director of the Oregon Humanities Center. My guest today is Michael Schill, president of the University of Oregon and professor of law. Thanks, Mike, for coming on the show. This will be the seventh time I've interviewed you. It's hard to believe it has been seven years. Um, it's really always a pleasure to talk to you. Welcome. Thank you, Paul. And it is, uh, I, it wouldn't be beginning a school year if I didn't, wasn't on the show, right? Right, and didn't, didn't tape this right uh, in, in September. And uh, I wanna make a pact with you. Next year, we're gonna be in person. Is that a deal? From your uh, mouth to God's ear. Exactly. <laughs> so Mike, the last academic year was, um, to put it mildly, extremely challenging. Tell us about what for you were some of the largest hurdles. Well, I mean, I think that um, the biggest, obviously COVID-19 is the biggest hurdle. Um, every day, the situation changes, the guidances change. Um, and what we really needed to do was to lead the university forward, uh, keeping everyone safe uh, or as safe as, as was humanly possible. Um, and, you know, as, as we dealt with that and as we had to make decisions, people were scared. I mean, people were uneasy. And, and that's a very difficult situation to be in because I, I empathize with, with folks. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I'm doing things now as we come back to in-person education. Uh, I am now in meetings, I'm in games, you know, sporting events, I'm in uh, all sorts of uh, environments with lots of people. And we've, we've gone for 18 months not being that way. So of course, people are anxious. And what I want people to understand is that we are doing everything we can uh, to follow the science and to follow um, and to do whatever we can to minimize risk. Now, when I say, I'm not saying bring risk down to zero, because that's impossible in this environment, but we can minimize risk. And I think we're doing you know, those things with regard to um, a lot of our COVID uh, protocols, which we can we can discuss later. But um, so that's one thing. And then the second challenge is not to let COVID-19 eat you up, right? We're run, we have a great university, which is doing great things. Faculty are doing great research. Students are achieving great um, objectives. The staff is helping us. And so, um, and, and, and has been here, many of the staff, all this period of time. And we wanna thank all of those groups. And we also wanna continue our trajectory. And so we've done things where the night campus opened, uh, our student, you know, our faculty did an amazing job teaching our students uh, remotely. Uh, I did a class, uh, so I can tell you, remote is not so easy. Uh, the um, and you know we need to move our university uh, forward and hopefully we'll get to talk about some of those positive things too today. So let's just um, start with uh, leadership's uh, planning for this coming academic year. I mean, obviously, as you said, tremendous uncertainty is ahead, lies ahead with us, and I think we're all realizing that. Um, we have to learn to live with COVID and we have to figure out how to do what we do uh, in a more, in a less fearful way and a more uh, 
pragmatic way. And I'm, I'm wondering what kind of, what are the, some of the preparations, specific preparations that leadership is planning for the, uh, this coming academic year, which I think will be no less challenging than last academic year, probably. Yes, although uh, we have a vaccine. Uh, and so that, that, that is a game changer, even though in rare instances, there's break, breakthrough cases. And, and we have no idea, since everyone isn't getting tested, we have no idea what the actual prevalence uh, in the country is. But um, what, uh, what we have is a vaccine requirement uh, mandate. There's subject to state required exemptions. For those students and faculty and staff that decide to take the exemption, uh, which is looking like it's going to be a very small number, uh, we're running about, so far, we have still time for people to let us know, but we're running about 95, no, actually 96% um, vaccinated. So, but there will be some people without, uh, who didn't get vaccinated. We're going to require them uh, to test on a weekly basis and, and not go to class if they, you know, quarantine if they become positive. Uh, we have for big events like sporting events and like we're requiring vaccination or a three day test. So we're requiring masks. Um, and so all of these things together, uh, as some people might consider them belt and suspenders, uh, but I think these things add every every step is a layer of safety and you know my hope is and, and I actually expect this the University of Oregon campus will be the safest place in Lane County uh, just because of all the steps that we're taking where else in Lane County are you going to have 95 percent of the somewhere between 90 and 95 percent but when all is said and done of the folks vaccinated where else in Oregon other than universities, yeah, uh, I'm I'm uh, glad that I'm in in this town and in this university for those reasons. Um, suppose though, despite all your efforts, there is a surge of coronavirus cases in the campus community. What kind of plans have you guys been making for that eventuality? Well, the, the most important things uh, for us to do is to quarantine those who are uh, who have symptoms and, and test positive uh, and to do contact tracing. Uh, and, and that has worked, right? We, we had students living in our dorms uh, last year and we had these protocols and we didn't really have big outbreaks, knock wood. And, um, and we, we anticipate that again. So those, those sort of public health, approved public health strategies, um, you know, do work. And we're, in, we're anticipating that we'll be able uh, to have a successful um, uh, year. Uh, right now, as, as you know, we're hoping that we've reached uh, the peak and are actually moving down in terms of this, uh, the, the, the Delta um, surge. And so, um, you know, it's, it's obviously there's lagging indicators in hospitals and, and mortality, uh, but uh, ultimately we think that all the modeling suggests that, that the Delta surge is going to come down quite quickly. So I guess I just have one other question on this, and, and I'm just curious what you personally think about this is you mentioned the fear factor and, you know, 
this is obviously something that's very complicated. There are people that are afraid. And, you know, I have colleagues that are afraid. I have staff that, that has a fear. Um, and obviously all these uh, layers that you talk about are all meant to alleviate fear. But fear is a powerful, it's a powerful emotion. And I'm wondering if you, you know, what you've been talking about in the leadership about that particular aspect of this phenomenon is the fear of the, you know, the fear of the staff, the fear that the faculty have, that the students have. So, you know, quite honestly, COVID-19 hit at a time when trust in universities was reaching uh, a low point. And that's really too bad. Uh, the, and as, as you know, since I've been president, and I've said this over and over again, I want the faculty uh, to, which, you know, to, and, and the staff and the students to have trust in the administration that we are trying to do our very best. And, and sometimes that's easier to achieve than at other times, particularly in a culture like Oregon's. Uh, where there's a strong populist approach, where there's skept skepticism. I guess what I would like to see is that, you know, over the past year and a half, when faced with two choices, a conservative choice and a more risky choice, we have almost always taken the most conservative, uh, or not the most conservative, because the most conservative would be just to hide under our beds, but the, we have, consistently taken uh, the conservative choice. Um, and, and I hope that's built some trust among our community that that's what we're thinking about. I mean, we're meeting literally every day, literally every day. We have a 4.30 meeting and we go over the what, what we've learned from the day, what we need to change. And I know that's been, I, I've, I've, I've read some things that suggest that some people are sort of frustrated that we don't have a full plan that takes you from soup to nuts right at the beginning. Uh, and, and the point is, this is changing. Uh, who, who knew the federal government was gonna have a mandate? Who knows what, what the state is going to do? Who knows whether there's gonna be another variant? So we are on it. We're paying attention to it. We have a really great group of people uh, who are dedicated to working on this subject. And uh, we're going to hopefully, we're not going to be perfect, right? I will make mistakes. Uh, I always make mistakes. That's just, I'm human. But what we really need to do is understand that we're doing our best and that we have a really, really great emergency management structure. The last thing uh, to answer your question about what we can be doing is we can empathize with people. I mean, you know, I, 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 I'm right. I understand the emotions that our faculty have. I, I, I understand the emotions that our staff have. I understand the enthusiasm that our students have to get back together again. Uh, so different types of emotions, but we need to be laser focused on our mission too. And our mission is to educate students. And our mission is to make sure that the most vulnerable of our students don't fall behind. And unfortunately, that's what happened last year. And so we need to get back. We need to get back in person. 
and we need to move forward in a way that is as safe as humanly possible. So despite all the challenges last year, um, there were some real significant accomplishments at the University of Oregon, probably uh, well, one that uh, people are most aware of is that um, the first building of the night campus was completed in December. Tell us a little bit about how you feel about that and, and what's going on at the night campus and that first building of the night campus. So I was just over there a couple of weeks ago. So number one, it's a beautiful facility. I hope uh, the universe, everyone in the university takes advantage of the terrace there, the running, the changing room for running on tracks and all the scientists use the shared facilities uh, that are that are there, uh, the, the laboratories. And it's, it's a, in December, we opened the building. It is full. There are researchers running around. There's, we've hired 13 to 14 tenure line faculty. There's lots of non-tenured faculty. There are researchers, there are graduate students. We have our PhD program with 20 students that we're uh, doing jointly with OSU in bioengineering. Um, the, the building spectacular and the and then obviously the, the so the first thing was December boom we have the new building then what we have is a few months later Phil and Penny delighted by the progress that we've made double the gift and so have now uh, given a total of one billion dollars which is just extraordinary for I mean an unprecedented in, in public universities. And that's going to allow us to grow to 30 faculty, tenure line faculty. All those positions are endowed, so they don't take a drain off the rest of the university. Uh, there'll be tons more graduate students, uh, and there'll be a second building. And the second building will go just to the north of the first building um, on a parking lot that, that, that is there that, that we previously purchased. So. Um, I'm just super excited and, the, and what's what's most exciting is the work going on there the work in terms of bioengineering regenerative medicine precision medicine uh really at the forefront of um bioengineering in the education that that's taking place this year we have a minor in for undergraduates in bioengineering we as i mentioned we have a phd program so the mission of our university is being fulfilled by the Knight campus, even though the funding is a funding that doesn't involve state funds. So <clears throat> among other things that, uh, new things that are happening on campus is the College of Arts and Sciences has established the School of Global Studies and Languages. And there's also uh, now a BFA program in dance and a major in Native American and Indigenous Studies. Tell us about these developments and why they're important, why you're proud of them. So I think they're important for a number of reasons. One of the reasons, and I, and I love them because each one of these developed in the way that academic programs should develop, which is they bubble up rather than they bubble down. I mean, you can do both ways, but in the end, my, my belief is uh, that if the faculty don't want something, if the faculty uh, aren't sufficiently bought into an idea, that idea is not going to succeed. In the Knight campus, it came from a group of faculty in the sciences that wanted applied sciences. 
Here, what we're seeing is a bubbling up in the humanities and in the School of Music and Dance and in the social sciences. So, uh, and I'm thrilled with that sort of energy. And, and Cass, uh, the Dean of Cass, uh, Bruce Blonigan is, is to be praised for the work that he did on the School of Global Studies along with the, um, the department chairs. And basically it was to facilitate the new, a new way of thinking both about languages and globalism. And what we hope uh, to happen is that the social sciences and the humanities come together around the School of Global Studies and that they focus both on what one can learn from literature in other languages, what one can learn from language, what can learn from culture for both learning's sake, but also for jobs and careers later on. And I think that that connection is one that the university needs to keep making. Because one of the things that we're seeing in higher education today is a demand by the students and their parents for value and, and, and for what's gonna happen when one graduates. So that program I think is exciting. I think the faculty is excited. We've added resources and it, it's gonna be great. The, the BFA in dance, again, uh, came from the School of Dance, didn't come from the provost or me. And it was an opportunity to, it'll be the only BFA in the state of Oregon. And it's an opportunity to train students in dance, but also in the allied fields involving uh, dance. And so again, career oriented, professional, um, very excited, Sabrina. Uh, Madison Cannon is, is, is a wonderful, wonderful uh, dean. And then the third program, which is the, um, uh, the Indigenous Studies uh, program in the major, I mean, we, in our minor, we have like 20, 25 students who are already minoring in Indigenous Studies. And it is, uh, and, and as you may know, the provost just dedicated several lines for more searches. And we already have a very strong uh, faculty who's, who does work in that area. And we have great relationships with our nine federally recognized tribes. So all of that together puts, you know, creates a program where number one, it's not just for students who are Native American. Uh, it will support students who are Native American, but we all should be understanding uh, the history of Native Americans, both in the United States as a whole, but also in our state of Oregon. And this program will prepare students to go work with tribes, to go work in communities, uh, to be sensitive, whatever they work in, to different cultures. So I'm, I'm just really, really excited about this program. Yeah, all of those are fascinating and exciting initiatives. Really um, looking forward to seeing how they all evolve and develop. And so Paul, one other thing, it also shows we're not just all about science, right? You know, I, I know that some people sort of, you know, maybe roll their eyeballs every time I make uh, investments in the sciences, which were very, much, very important at our school because they had been disinvested uh, prior to the time I got here. Uh, but I think that, you know, we, we can chew gum 
and walk at the same time. We can build the sciences and we can also build the humanities and social sciences. But we need ideas, ideas, forward-looking ideas. That's the most important thing. So speaking about uh, uh, walking and chewing gum at the same time, um, last year, as you were being the president of the University of Oregon, you taught your first class at the University of Oregon. Tell us about that class and your experience of it. So it was fun. I mean, you know, normally I love teaching. And when I was dean at Chicago, I would teach undergraduates. And, you know, I've done enough law teaching. And so uh, I, I've wanted to do it, but my travel schedule uh, is just a killer. And so um, I basically, um, you know, wasn't able to teach, but the remote nature of last year allowed me to, I just sort of said, you know, I can be remote, I can be anywhere. It turns out I'm in Eugene. Uh, why don't I teach a class? So I taught a class in higher education and it was super fun. It was in the Honors College. Uh, I found the students in the Honors College to be just as good as the students at any other school that I've ever been a part of and uh, smart, engaged, uh, fun, playful. Uh, and I, I had a I had a great time. And in fact, tomorrow I'm actually doing a Zoom with one of the students uh, who was in my class last quarter. Uh, and and I think it's going to be uh, you know hopefully these are relationships uh, that I will continue. Why should you have all the fun of teaching? I you know president gets to do a little of it too. Oh, I think it's a great thing that you're doing that. And I mean, you mentioned that it was the um, the Zoom. Teaching was a bit of a challenge. I can tell you, for me, it was a huge challenge. Tell us a little bit about the online course initiative and how that's going. Well, we've got some great people, and they basically took me by the hand and helped me. And I got to tell you, from the time I was regularly teaching till today, teaching has changed dramatically. My syllabus used to be four pages of readings. Now it's like a treatise to everything in the university. And it's, it's very, very different. Um, and the online course uh, initiative was our, you know, as, as we all know, Oregon State really cornered the market on online in, the, in this state. We, we did not go down that route, but we decided, we hired Carol Gehring, and we decided that we would use online education for sort of gateway courses for for some of the general education courses to help our students succeed and then COVID-19 happened and we realized let's rev this up let's do 50 a quarter and let's let's provide some stipends let's provide uh some assistance uh professional assistance in helping faculty create these so we've created I think about 150 to 170 new um, core education courses, which can be accessed online and we'll, and and it isn't remote education, right? So remote education frequently was not always, but sometimes, you know, I'm going to do the, what I would have done in the classroom, but I'm going to do it online. This is actually well thought through, well designed uh, courses. And, and again, a lot of the remote courses were great, don't get me wrong. But this is really intentionally uh, going to be online and will stay online in the future. 
So we're excited about that. And, and you know, Lee Rumberger was involved in that, Janet Woodruff Borden, Carol Gehring, and tons of faculty. So we're coming toward the end of our time. So I guess the, the next question I have is, what was the most memorable experience for you of the past year? So I was teaching that class. Yeah, so I would say probably there were two or three uh, memorable experiences. I'm gonna bracket off Saturday's game against Ohio State, which was certainly memorable. A lot of friends of mine called me after that game. Uh, and of course, to all of your watchers, we won in a huge upset. Um, also, the night campus opening, I, I did find myself, it was virtual. I found myself sort of, my eyes were very moist and uh, it, was, it was something. And, you know, thirdly, I'll say what was memorable was, as, as, as some of your watchers uh, viewers may, may know, I uh, had this freak infection uh, this year, which landed me in the hospital, and I was really quite, quite ill. And um, I'm now back to normal, or, or just about back to normal. But the, um, I was, what was memorable, number one was, obviously, it was a bad experience that was quite memorable. And the other part was all of the people who took care of me, all of the people who sent me, you know, words of encouragement and, uh, you know, caring. And, you know, we can be a tough community. Uh, and you know this, Paul, you've been here forever. Uh, the, you know, we can say things that are rough to each other, sometimes disagree with each other. But I heard lots from people uh, who I disagree with uh, and, and who might be rough in a more normal situation, giving me their well wishes and hoping uh, that I uh, recover quickly. And that was memorable to me and made me feel really good. So, and what about Max? How did Max, Max, your dog, how did Max manage through this difficult time? So Max is great. Um, unfortunately, Saturday, he discovered fertilizer in my backyard. So we spent the afternoon after the pan after the Ohio State game, we ended up in Usudzum yourself, uh, where that was a bit of a nightmare. But the um, but now he's smelling good and very active. And we take our walks on a daily basis. And he's keeping me, he's actually part of my physical therapy, right? Uh, it gets me walking every day, which is good. So what are some of the aspirations that you had you have for this coming academic year? So one is that we get through it successfully, uh, safely. Uh, that that that's obviously very high on my list. That we're able to fix some of the. Um, I suspect last year some students fell behind, uh, and that some and that some students may have taken lower course loads. We're, we're analyzing that right now and not done as, maybe not have learned as much. Um, and well, we need to fix that. And we need to fix that in, in a way that's equitable. Because one of the things that I, I am deeply concerned about is that we still have a persistent graduation gap between our majority students and our underrepresented minority students. And that is unacceptable for a great university. Now it occurs at almost every university, but we don't have to be one of those. So our one of my top DEI uh, objectives, in addition to faculty retention, in addition to hiring 
more faculty of color is to just is to take those disparities those gaps and and reduce or eliminate them um the provost has a whole set of initiatives which are really wonderful in the environment in human performance in sport in innovation in racial disparities in data science and and i'm excited about us moving forward in each of those each one will be at a different pace but again i've said this ever since my first day here a university that stands in one place that doesn't move forward is a university that is falling behind so we need to um, accommodate the ambitions of our faculty and our students and we need to get better and better and better and that's what we're going to do this year so we're just about at the end of our time mike i will ask you the question that i have asked you at the end of each of our interviews what have you read recently that you would recommend so i'm i am just about finished with a book that no one is going to want to read uh it's actually a pretty good book it's called giving done right and it's by a guy named buchanan and it's sort of looking at the whole field of philanthropy. Uh, and I'm actually learning a lot because, you know, I know one type of philanthropy, which is, you know, going like this and asking people for money. Uh, but the uh, this is about the whole nature of foundations and giving and the history of giving. And I, I'm just not sure a lot of people would be interested in it, but I literally have like 20 pages left in it. Well, Mike Schill, it's been a pleasure speaking with you as always. All the best of luck to you and all of us uh, with this coming academic year. Um, we're looking forward to uh, convening with you again a year from today to hear how it went and um, to hear about the exciting things that you'll be, uh, you will have accomplished and we will have accomplished uh, a year from now. So have a great year. Thanks again for taking the time to speak with us. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Paul. And I should have mentioned Kimberly Johnson's book too. I read that about three months ago. Great book. Everybody read it. Kimberly's a star. And by the way, we have a wonderful interview with Kim Johnson. Uh, and I, I also read that book and it's a wonderful book. And uh, I would also highly recommend it. So thanks again, Mike. Um, Thank you. Take care. I've been speaking with Michael Schill, president of the University of Oregon and professor of law. Thanks so much for watching.